Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to Front 3, which this week is the Front 2. Kristen Hennig joins me as well, obviously joining me all the way from near Newcastle this weekend. A relatively good result for those guys, Chris. Yes, it wasn't terrible. Draw is a point. It's better than none, I guess. Okay, no, but I guess when you're... Well, the aim this season really is 40, isn't it? That's a, still a point closer to 40. It is. I think there's a bit of discourse at the minute whether it's actually even going to take 40. There's, there's some speculation that it could be anywhere from, from 37 to 40 being that magic target um, but yeah. yeah I'm not so sure in which case you guys are 17 points off those 40 points yeah which given the amount of games left you would sort of hope your team could accrue that many you would almost even argue if you were perhaps being a bit pessimistic if you can't get 17 then yeah you definitely don't deserve to be in the league yeah, I mean, looking at Newcastle's run over the next few weeks, there's definitely uh, some games in there that are going to challenge them. Obviously, next up, Man City versus Newcastle. Uh, they then got Burnley, Palace, Manchester United uh, and Liverpool all within the next six games. Um, so it's it's not an easy run for Rafa over these next few weeks. No, it's not. But I think in a, in a bizarre turn of fate without wishing to uh, condemn them to a number of losses they appear to have done better in the games where the impetus hasn't necessarily been on them to to drive the game I think if you look at say the Swansea away game Stoke away more recently actually even West Ham as well there's been instances there where the home team have, have been expected to, to push on to drive forward and dictate things and that's kind of when Newcastle have been able to exploit the space in, in behind whereas home games to, to Swansea, Brighton where Newcastle have had to come out hasn't really suited them Yeah, and that's also been slightly limited by personnel, right? In the fact that you guys don't have any personnel and the other day Rafa even sort of publicly said we don't even know how much the transfer budget for this month is Yeah, that's. I mean that's a huge hindrance is, is not even knowing what you can spend because, well, I think it it's obvious what issues that presents itself. I think, I think in essence, the the squad is is lacking just that little bit of not so much diversity, but a, a plan B or someone with something a bit different. It's it's very much set up in in my mind to play one way, and and I think really what what Rafa did was 
sign some key players like Dwight Gale and, and Matt Ritchie for big money and then try this smart shoply in smart shoply shoply yeah smart shop no shop, shop smartly. smartly excuse me in, in other yeah shop smartly in, in other avenues with guys like Moreno and, and Isaac Hayden I mean those two cost less than than 10 million um, and so yeah I, th- I think he's perhaps a little bit looking for something different um, but at the same time I think a, a lot of the issues that he would want to address are issues that he marked in the summer he wanted a, a better goalkeeper and, and if you look maybe not recently but you point to the home game at Everton where Darlow makes a, a bit of a a cock up that ultimately gives Everton the winning goal and a game that to be very honest Everton didn't threaten I would say for, for large periods there's only one chance they had other than that that I can think of that's one issue that he wanted to address he wanted a new uh, a new left back excuse me a number 10 with some real craft and he, he went hard for Dennis Pratt who now is being linked to Juventus and was a player that Newcastle could have had there was a deal lined up for him um, there was even talk that he wanted a, a new striker that for him he'd already uh, sanctioned Dwight Gale to, to move to I think it was Fulham and Wolves were, were circling so I think a lot of what he outlined they needed to do with this January coming yes they're, they're by no means down but it's certainly uh, a risk I would say heading into February if there's no additions. A lot of what he outlined for them to do in the summer now looks like being, I would say, almost proved or affirmed by the first half of the season. Yeah, in many ways, those 23 points are an achievement to this point. Although some other people, it it does seem a little like some other people are making other teams that are underachieving massively look um, better. I guess that's part of it at Newcastle at the moment, isn't it, Chris? That you, as I mean, obviously as a Newcastle fan and someone who covers them, you are seeing um, a bit of a conflict because Mike Ashley hasn't done what he needs to do to keep a club in the Premier League, but all the fans and Rafa and some other personnel very much feel like they are trying to keep the club in the Premier League and trying to achieve something. Yeah, I think uh, for me that is the ultimate uh, conflict here is that Ultimately, the the squad that you're watching it's so different to the the one that was last in the Premier League because that squad had talent. It had Vinaldum, Sissoko, Mitrovic. There was players in there that I think on their day could produce that match winning quality and did to get them to the points total that they eventually ended on. The problem was that it had no fight, it had no character, it had no togetherness. Um, and I think honestly, had had Benitez come in in January of that season, they, they probably would have scraped up. Um, and I think you compare that to this current generation, um, they are a very together unit. They work hard for each other. They're industrious. They run often more than their opponents do, but they don't necessarily have that match-winning quality. You're relying on the likes of Hosolu, the likes of Shelby, to, to do something a little bit above kind of what they're used to. Um, and I think that's the, the, the great issue here is that when you look at that, contingent uh, group of players or you look at that little set of players they're all kind of known for having a moment of quality in them but no consistency and, and the problem is is that the stars don't align enough for them at the minute to to win games I would say on a consistent basis Yeah I mean let, let's see how the Rafa system uh, develops I'm studying that at the moment it's rather an interesting system 
that you could say Rafa has been quite pragmatic with over the last few years and learned as he's gone from club to club to work with the resources that he has. Then people know what a fan of Rafa I am on this podcast. Maybe um, I'm just being hyperbolic. It doesn't feel that way, though. Um, interestingly, elsewhere, just below Newcastle, we're seeing a lot of results which do seem to make Newcastle look a lot better considering where they're struggling with right now. Uh, Stoke City obviously lost 3-0 to Manchester United tonight, Chris. Uh, Lukaku mm, capped off, you'd say, or sort of uh, completed a good win for United with a, a 3-0 victory and ultimately some goals uh, for the guys who need them at the moment, Martial and Lukaku. Yeah, he, he seemed to have a bit of a frustrating evening at times. I, I don't think he was too pleased with the, the treatment he received from, from some of the stalk back line, most notably Bruno Martins Indy. Um, and I think, look, you have to kind of be physical with with Lukaku, he, he, otherwise he will bully you. Um, I thought his goal was, was well taken overall. I thought Manchester United played well in, in patches. The the thing I noticed with them is there's never like a total dominance of a, of a game. It's not... They never th- it never feels like it, you were throttled necessarily. In fact, I wondered if yeah. um, there's an I, I did wonder if there's part of them that almost invites their opposition on because it makes the game easier for them um, because it opens up those spaces, it allows them to counterattack. Whereas when they're trying to break someone down, and I, and I noticed this more in the second half when when Stoke sort of put the shutters down and accepted they were going to lose, it seemed much harder for Man United to get in behind to to cause real problems. Um, whereas in the first half where things were a little bit more open it definitely seemed to, to suit them more and I think created better chances for them overall mm, It certainly was interesting to, to watch United tonight especially against the Stoke team who will less than likely be right, revitalised by a new manager Chris, what do you think of the appointment of um, what's, his name? what's his name again? Paul Lambert Paul Lambert uh, I was going to say Paul Jewell. I thought that was even worse. Uh, but, but yeah, Paul Lambert. Uh, fair, fair pit TV. Seemed less than excited, uh, as you might assume, especially considering the names that were up there before. Kike Sanchez-Flores, Martin O'Neill, Roy Keane. Mm-hmm. This does now look a little underwhelming. Uh, yeah, I, I can understand why. The, 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 thing, the thing with managerial appointments is your, your mind, I think... If you're a supreme optimist, your mind will try and take the entire resume in. Right. And so you'll look at what he did with Norwich, which was back-to-back promotions after, I think they beat his Colchester side 7-1 and then he was hired not long after. Um, I mean, Villa, he did, I, I think, a fairly stable job. Um, the concerning thing is, is that thereafter, it doesn't make for pleasant reading um, with Paul Lambert. He has obviously a very uh, impressive playing career behind him. He won obviously the Champions League with, with Dortmund, but when you look at Blackburn, when you look at Wolves, um, could argue even the back end of his time with Villa, it's very dour defensive football. Um, now, Stoke have the worst uh, defensive record in the Premier League as it stands right now. Uh, I think, I want to say it's 50 goals actually after tonight. I think it could be. Um, but their defence is certainly an issue. At the same time, stating the obvious, as is often the case with promoted teams, they haven't looked as efficient in attack as they could be. They have the likes of uh, Shakiri, Chupo Moting. Um, they're lacking, for me, a real clinical forward. They've got Berahino, but he's been so off the radar for a long time, it's, it's not even worth it. And Crouch is this 
option that, that doesn't contribute enough goals. He, he's a threat, but he's not a goal scorer. Um, and the same really applies to Juve. I mean, he had a good chance tonight that he, he squandered. And I think that's the problem, is that they're now potentially looking for, I would say, not just a striker, but there's there's a fair shout for them to need a left-back. I think the right-back they've signed looks OK. He doesn't look a, a poor player. Um there's maybe even a, a call for someone in central midfield there as well because I think Darren Fletcher is starting to show his age a bit. That's a lot to get done in, in what is, I would say, under three weeks now we've got. A um, yeah. little over two weeks, give or take, sorry. Um, that's a lot to get done, especially if it's a new manager coming in and you need that player to fit into his style. Um, so, yeah, it's it's difficult. Yeah, it's, it's a tricky one, but uh, I think a lot of fans feel a little underwhelmed by him as an appointment. And again, it seems like a publicly mismanaged situation um, mm-hmm. and sort of very ill-judged at best. Um, but hey, that seems to be Stoke right now um, and a number of other teams. Uh, let's also talk about some of those other teams in the, uh, later on in the podcast, though. As right now, I think it's time to talk, Chris, about Liverpool's... Um, impressive performance the other day against Man City I think Jurgen Klopp was very pleased afterwards uh, he thought to himself fucking hell um, and then he said similar on uh, American TV um, it, it were it, Liverpool are, on their day incredible and more recently have, had, have been able to uh, play so it looks as if it is always their day um, and I've got to admit I've been very impressed with the performances especially considering uh, that this was the first big game where Coutinho uh, was a clear absence from the starting eleven. Obviously, the FA Cup uh, last week was very different. Against Everton battled out, and maybe Coutinho wouldn't have played that anyway because of an injury. Um, but this week, we see a big, a big uh, result for Liverpool, for a 4-3 in the end, and obviously there are some weaknesses in there as we see Man City come back late. But, uh, you know, apart from that, looking at the structure that Klopp has built here... It's, I was saying this today in the office. It's hard not to see one player that hasn't notably improved under Jurgen Klopp or thrived in this system. Apart from, obviously, Dejan Lovren, who is, even then, you could still make an argument that he's improved considering his form under uh, Rodgers. Yeah, I, th- I think what we're seeing is, is uh, a lot of the traits or elements of his time at Dortmund coming to the fore. I mean, he spent seven years at, at Dortmund, a similar period of time at uh, Mainz as well. And with Dortmund more specifically, it wasn't about being able to shop at the top table because they couldn't. They couldn't compete financially. So you look at, say, the turnaround of, of selling Nuri Sahin and then buying Ilkay Gundogan for, I think it was five million from Nuremberg. Yeah. There's a, an element of him which is very prevalent that he develops players and he gets very invested in who they are. I read something recently that said that he was quite annoyed at one of his coaches for not knowing that Andy Robertson was about to become a father. And I think because he becomes so invested in who these people are, they then seek to reward that through being wholly committed to his ideas and his philosophy. Um, and you look at someone like Oxley chamberlain for example, there were a lot of raised eyebrows at, at 35 million, self-included, to, to be fair. And while he hasn't shown consistency yet, I think he showed his potential against Manchester City, whereas his other, his other offers during that period... Um, for my mind, were I think Chelsea wanted him, obviously, but they were going to play him as a wing-back, whereas yeah. Liverpool brought him in and have said, look, we're going to play you as a central midfielder, which is kind of what he's always wanted to be. Um, and, and where he was best, I would argue, with Southampton way back in the day. So 
you look at situations like that, you look at then also the sale of Coutinho, which does feel slightly reminiscent of those big money sales that uh, that Dortmund had to to sort of accept um, as, as part of the consequence of where they were in, in football's financial food chain. To me, it just seems as if he's building a slightly similar scenario with, with Liverpool in terms of being willing to sell a Coutinho, knowing that, granted, Cater is a lot more than he ever spent at Dortmund, but it's that similar kind of, we'll sell Coutinho to buy Cater and, and Virgil van Dijk. So, yeah, to me, it's, it's very interesting. Forty-eight million is now uh, a very average amount of money uh, to spend in the market, uh, considering. So, is forty million the new twenty or thirty? You know, it's it's definitely an interesting market. Uh, but I'm not saying Liverpool haven't spent masses of money more recently. Of course, they've spent a lot of money on Virgil Van Dijk and all those other players. But I also I also agree, Chris, and I think. Uh, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, interestingly now, is almost notably, actually very visibly, um, concerned when he misplaces a pass out on the pitch. Um, and obviously he always wanted to make that up at Arsenal, but people are now saying, could he have ever put this performance in at Arsenal in the first place? Um, and obviously it was very impressive from Liverpool. It was also that uh, I think Klopp put players in exactly the right position to do exactly what they needed to do. And that was most notably attacking the, if you're going from Liverpool's side, the, the sort of left inside channel. So sort of the John Stones side, if you like. Salah scored, Mane scored from there. Um, and then obviously Oxford chamberlain and Salah's other goal were in, incredible strikes. Um, it, it certainly is interesting though to see that these teams are are working out different ways to attack Man City. And it's as if Jürgen Klopp put that puzzle together from previous managers. Although you would also say, Chris, uh, even before anyone else was sort of putting this puzzle together, if Mane hadn't gone through and put his boot into the side of um, Edison's head originally, we might have seen a different result or maybe something that looked a bit closer the last time they played. Yeah, I think that's one of the interesting things about Liverpool is that their performances do fluctuate a little bit in terms of they are very susceptible to conceding goals, which I think they showed in the final period of the game um, with the, the the last two that, that City scored. And yet at the same time, they will also have, say, a 15-20 minute period where they'll create some fantastic chances and convert, I would say, a decent number of them. You look at just how quickly they got the second, then the third, then the fourth. And it, it almost felt as if, you know, Man City were a little bit punch drunk. I think certainly they didn't handle the situation very well when they went behind. And I think part of that was because they aren't used to going behind. As, as I tweeted out yesterday, they've only um, been behind four times this season in the Premier League and for a total of, of less than, than 90 minutes. So it's not a position they're used to being in. And I think there's something about Liverpool, or more specifically Anfield, that helps Liverpool facilitate that kind of situation when they score a goal because the supporters get behind it. There's a change in the atmosphere almost. And it, it just seems to constrict the players on the opposition team a little bit more and they seem a little bit nervous. Their touch doesn't seem as um, as sure-footed and, and they don't seem to adjust to the pace shift either. They seem to think that it's still going in, in gear two when maybe it shifted up to, to gear three. And that's what, what struck me about Liverpool was that they just handled that period so much better um, there was part of me that thought actually hang on you know maybe you need five minutes to calm down here but actually that's the worst thing Liverpool could have done what they needed to do was exactly what they did which was 
go at City again, put them under more pressure, let them almost make their own mistakes, which I think is what happened, obviously, with, with the Salago, with Edison. Um, and I think that's what makes Liverpool an interesting proposition for the, the Champions League when that picks up next month and possibly makes them a, an interesting proposition for the, the Premier League title in the long run. But I think the, the thing for them now is about almost mastering that position and mastering that situation so that they can eventually get the best of it and so that it doesn't feel as sort of uncontrolled as I think it does now. It's it's something where, again, when they're on top, they seem completely fine. But we, I think we all saw how nerve-wracking that, that last little uh, sort of period was for them when City scored a, a second and a third. Speaking of uncontrolled situations, um, there's definitely a, a panic at Arsenal right now, Chris. As Alexis Sanchez definitely seems to be on his way. Uh, they, they seem to think that Ozil might stay. Um, but Alexis Sanchez seems to be on his way to, well, where? Manchester United, Man City have apparently pulled out of the race. Um, basically because, um, a bit weirdly, because Alexis Sanchez may have asked for too much or Arsenal are now trying to price other clubs out. Um, it does seem somewhat as if um, through other clubs coming in very late for Alexis Sanchez, it has driven the price up. If United don't get him in the end, you would say it would be good for, uh, I mean, good for Mourinho because he will have stopped maybe Pep Guardiola getting another piece in his puzzle. Um, but if United don't go from and Chelsea do get him, it might not be as good for United considering. I mean, Mourinho sounded very late back when he spoke about it this evening after the Stoke game. He said, um, if we get him, good for us. If someone else get him, good for them. Uh, he sounds super laid back about it. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Uh, yeah, I think I think he, sh- he should be. This is... if if The one thing that, that struck me is if Alexis Sanchez was to go to Man City... Uh, I don't think they see a huge drastic improvement. I think maybe 12 hours ago, I would have said uh, Manchester United, excuse me. But Martial has, has showed his potential once again. Um, I think he's in an awkward stage that the, the pessimist says he's being wasted, the optimist says he's being developed. Whereas for Chelsea, again, it's it's that similar position of, he probably fits in quite well in that attacking three up top with him, Hazard and Morata. But then you have to drop Pedro. And I think Pedro has been one of the better players for Chelsea this season. And it's almost the position, I think, that Sanchez, whether intentionally or otherwise, has managed to find himself in, whereby 
yes, he's a he's a fantastic player. Nobody will contest that. He's a very good footballer, um, and I think theoretically he would improve any team that he joined. The problem is I don't think any of the teams involved are desperately yearning for him. I think they would all survive and improve without him as well, and that's the that he finds himself in. As I said yesterday, you can go back and forth on whether he's doing it for money or trophies or whatever, and take whichever conclusion confirms your bias towards your team. Good point, yeah. um, Well, I suppose until one, you see him holding the shirt, it's not really going to... It's not really going to make much difference to your team, really, is it? It doesn't really change anything. Well, the one thing that, to me, seems completely constant throughout is that he is desperate to leave Arsenal. That, right. to me, is the Good bigger point. takeaway. It's, and he'll it's, do it's, whatever. He'll even talk to the Yeah, it's, it's almost irrelevant um, where he goes at this point because if it's Chelsea, Man City, Man United, whatever... He's leaving Arsenal. That's the only thing that stays the same regardless. And I think to me, that is the bigger takeaway from this, is that for him, he doesn't want to spend another four or five months at Arsenal, no matter what could happen. They could finish fourth. They could win the Europa League, let's not forget. So they've, they've got things to potentially win as well. And yet for him, he thinks, you know what, I'd rather go to, let's say, City and pick up a medal that I haven't really earned or go to United and try and, and see if we can win the Champions League, although I don't know if they're favourites personally. In the same way that... Yeah, or go to Chelsea and, and be in a, a slightly similar position. Um, if, if you were Liverpool, you would just make a bit of £40 million in a pound, wouldn't you? Just just for kicks. <laughs> I, I don't... Again, it's one of those situations where I don't know if he fits in there well. That's the problem, is that... I think if you're going to sign Sanchez as one of these teams, you're also going to have to change him because for the last few seasons, he's been at a football club where usually the he's been carrying the piano while playing it. He's been doing everything yeah. in that final third. And they're, granted, Ozil has taken some of the, the work from him at times and, and been the supply line as well. But there are large portions where it's Sanchez. I look at the game against Cologne earlier in the season where he has to sort of initiate and instigate this turnaround or this turn in fortunes yeah the pressing forward and those sorts of things that and I think I think part of that is he played as a central number nine I don't think he fits as a central number nine for any of these teams and I think what they would do or what they would be forced to do rather is to take him to one side and say look you're going to have to play a slightly more reduced role this 25 minutes 30 minutes whatever you do of, of just dominating a game and being in every facet of it is great, but we need you for ninety minutes, not twenty-five. And and in the same way, there's a there's a there's a point I would argue where that kind of player becomes just as much of a hindrance as a help because they're almost trying to force a situation. Um, and I think yeah, you need to almost reprogram Alexis Sanchez once you get him from Arsenal because he's been used to to doing so much for for a team that's quite poor across the board. Let's let's talk about his possible replacement replacements as well. Apparently, Arsenal are confident of signing Aubameyang, considering um, it's you know it's not going great uh, for him at Dortmund right now. Maybe he's had some, and maybe you don't want to replace Alexis Sanchez with someone else who comes with maybe some emotional baggage. I'm not saying Sanchez has got incredible amounts of baggage, but apparently he doesn't need an arm around him. Um, and then there's Aubameyang who you know has missed training, those sorts of things. Do you want to, you know, if if Wenger is transitioning away? Do you want to take a chance on a player like that, considering he's an incredible talent? Um, or do you also want to look at the likes of Malcolm, 
Chris. I mean, there's two incredible young players there. Uh, Malcolm, much younger, obviously, than Aubameyang, but still, you know, relatively fresh and Becker is about to go into a peak period. Do you think either of those players are viable for Arsenal? Um, I mean, reports say that, um, that Arsenal are confident of getting them, which, you know, that's that's an interesting statement of intent if they do get both. I think what they point to is the fact that Arsenal Wenger is, is slowly transitioning away from the club, if anything. Because yeah. to me, these, these deals have the hallmark of uh, the the new sporting director formerly of Dortmund Sven Missile is it Missile I think it's pronounced I think that's how you say it um, yeah it's it's close enough it's the pro evo version let's argue um, I, I think that yeah to me it, th- those two deals strike of him because there was talk actually that he wanted uh, Malcolm when he was at Dortmund um, so I, th- I think it's something to certainly be be pleased of and excited of I think from from Aubameyang's perspective it, it points to a player that perhaps has missed his his opportunity to, to move to a truly huge club because there was talk of him only ever wanting to play for Real Madrid to yeah. to keep a promise to his father. Now that's a significant step down with Arsenal. It's a huge upgrade for them, undeniably. Um, he gives them pace, he gives them goals, a lot of things that they've kind of missed, that real target forward. Now, but like I said, at the same time... For well, that's... Yeah, that's just what I was coming on to, is that, that at the same time, Lacazette was seen as that player um, and said when he joined, you know, I think Arsenal play the best football, etc., etc., as you might expect a new signing to do. Yeah. But he hasn't had the the impact um, that you would expect. And I think it points to the fact that really, Arsenal need the, the dreaded overhaul. Um, there are a number point. of players that, that aren't fit for purpose. Petr Cech is... is I think rapidly on the decline. Uh, Mertesacker is months from retiring. Holding isn't ready yet. Uh, Mustafi has the quality, I think. Uh, Do you think Kalasen, there, was a, there was a there was a problem on the weekend as well? That I mean, this side they definitely have some personnel that can beat the likes of you know a Bournemouth in there, but they just did not put that into practice at all. Yeah, I think. Um, that's the the problem is that I look at someone like Xhaka in the middle of midfield and I just don't know what he does to, to be quite frank um, it's a shame we don't have Dave because I'd be curious to hear his opinion or, or Nico for that matter I, well um, I don't think I, I, having having known from the live show the other day I, I don't think that uh, either of their central midfielders had a particularly impressive game yeah I, th- I think that that's the problem is that Xhaka is a defensive midfielder that doesn't really defend um, I've done pieces on this in the past that that looked at the more intangible aspect of his game that he doesn't bring leadership or anything. And you think back to that story about the house keys when he was a kid that kind of was lampooned quite quickly. He's been given the keys to Arsenal's midfield and it's turned out terribly because, like I say, bar some long balls, I, I don't see what he's giving. And it makes me question if actually he was a player that had his skills exemplified by the fact that he played in a team that perhaps counter-attacked more than Arsenal do. I don't know if that's yeah. part of their their ethos. And when he's given a situation where he has to play through the lines, his passing is so wildly inconsistent. He, even even with the, the surge in prices that we've seen these last few years, where at one stage Pogba looked crazy for 90 million, now it looks very much par for the course. 
35 million for Granit Xhaka to me still looks overpriced and that's the most damning criticism I can give him yes I think it's a criticism as well um, well I'm, I'm sure that um, wow there's actually some really interesting uh, uh, headlines coming out tonight about whether Chelsea will even be able to financially compete for Sanchez at this point um, apparently uh, there is an issue with the fact that uh, Chelsea uh, there, there's a bit of an FFP issue there I think there's a, a financial issue at the club anyway um, and whether they will actually be able to compete for him I hear is uh, in contention tonight with mainly Manchester United only uh, as the, the club competing for his signature uh, essentially they're not competing against anyone if it's just them um, now Chris obviously as the day that we record this there's um, quite some sad stories coming out as well one being um, Cyril Regis uh, passed away, who was a player I think many regard as uh, a hero in English football, considering the times that he played in. He played through immense racism, um, uh, just really harsh conditions for him to play in, in terms of uh, the treatment that he received and also um, the, the time that he played in. And, you know, the fact that when he became an England player, he was sent a bullet in the post, um, you know, out on the pitch, he was susceptible um, to very little uh, in terms of tackles or physicality. Apparently, he was a fantastic uh, player out on the pitch to play against. And uh, there are quite a few people who've said what a difficult adversary he was because I think it was Alan Hansen said, you just couldn't tackle him because he was so strong, but at the same time, so fast. Um, and I don't know, there's something about him inspiring a generation of players. And I, I think even now, when you look at modern day players, you can see elements of Cyril Regis in their DNA. And I, I don't I don't feel like that's hyperbole. No, I don't think so at all. I mean, Johan Cruyff wanted him at Ajax in, I think it was 87. Um, and but for, for some dallying by the board, he would have got the player he wanted. But ultimately, uh, Regis's price rose to the point where, where Ajax couldn't... Uh, couldn't compete and couldn't afford him. So, yeah, I think that's not hyperbole at all. I think that um, the situation with his legacy is something that we need to celebrate in certain quarters. I think we need to uh, accept it and almost take responsibility for it in others because the, the struggle and the situation that he was put through is shameful. Um, yeah. I think it would have been shameful if it was 100 years ago, never mind 10 or 20. Um, I, th- I think, Crikey, actually 30, sorry, excuse me. I forget some past, sometimes how quickly time passes. Um, and yeah, I think that, like I say, we have to celebrate the man that handled that with such dignity and class. And yet at the same time, we have to take responsibility. And more importantly, the FA has to take responsibility to, to point to the fact that this needs to be a situation that is is learned from in every sector. Who is that next generation? Who, unfortunately, is is dealing with a, a similar, if also different, kind of, of racial abuse? That shouldn't be the case anymore. It, it, we have to reach a stage as as a community, as a fraternity, whichever word you want to use, where. We look at the stories of Cyril Regis and almost can't believe they're true. That's That has to be our end goal. And unfortunately, at, at this precise moment, as he passes, very sadly, 
it doesn't feel as if we've made a huge development and I think that's now what we have to take as our objective moving into to 2018 as, as we sadly lay him to rest and and yeah and, and exactly I think it is it's a very sad day for football I think for a lot of people in England also acknowledging um, that you know especially considering how young he was I think 59 obviously um, but that generation of footballers beginning to pass away and uh, it's, there's something quite sad about losing that time in football as well I think in terms of the fact that someone like a hero such as him could uh, rise to the top despite everything that was against him. Um, there's an incredibly inspirational story there. Uh, and one that you should definitely look up. There's a lot of great highlights online of his incredible goals. Go and take a look. I will try and tweet some out of the TF3 account. Now, Chris, let's finish on some interesting uh, news for Wales tonight. As Ryan Giggs uh, sought the advice of Sir Alex Ferguson and then earlier today, that's Monday, was appointed Wales manager. Big Gareth Bale could be in with a real captaincy here, Chris. Yeah, I mean, look, Ryan Giggs is a very talented player, um, and I have seen people debate with me on Twitter that Mark Hughes walked into a slightly similar situation in the sense that he didn't have a huge amount of experience. I don't think you should. Yeah, I don't think you should make the exception the rule. That's my concern. Right. Um, I think you look at Chris Coleman, who did an apprenticeship with with Fulham and Real Sociedad. Uh, Gary Speed was at Sheffield United for a time. Um, and the fact that Craig Bellamy interviewed very well in this, apparently, I think makes it a slightly worse situation. Um, because for me, Giggs' legend is not with Wales. It's with Man United. He famously uh, actually dropped out of a number of friendly squads, didn't show up had little niggling injuries and in inverted commas that, that were said to be uh, non-existent in actual fact. And I think that's the concern is that, yes, it's it's a start for him and you could say, well, he's been rewarded for being patient and not jumping at, um, at a job lower down the leagues where it might have been more of a struggle. But I even think you look at the, that top five in the Premier League, Pep Guardiola, Jurgen Klopp, even Jose Mourinho spent time as an assistant at Benfica before getting that job very briefly and then went back down the leagues and worked his way up to, to get back to Porto and springboard his career. Same with, with Pochettino. Um, again, started at a team that was struggling a bit. And I think you learn more from that. You know, I think it, it is an old trope in football that you learn more from defeat than, than victory. And I think the same applies to learning with, with teams where you aren't blessed with everything, where you have to find inventive ways to to sort of circumnavigate the struggles. Um, and so, yeah, I'm... I'm a little bit disappointed, I have to confess. I mean, I'm not a Wales fan, so I don't have any personal investment in it. Um, but I don't think it's the best appointment. I think it's a needless risk to take because ultimately it will come down to how he performs in, in tournament football, I think, that will do him. And I actually don't even think that's the greatest uh, precursor to a, a time in club career, in, a, in club management anyway, to be honest. Well, let's see. Uh, I still think they should give it gigs till the end of the season like I, like I said um, Chris thanks a lot for joining us tonight I know it was a slightly shorter podcast we are TF2 rather than TF3 uh, but we will make up for it later in the week when we have a full complement of people players staff etc uh, if you want to get in contact with us you can at us at the front three you can also at Chris which is at K-H-E-N-E-A-G-E K-H-E-N-E-A-G-E. all of that is in the description for the podcast uh, Chris can people go read anything of yours this week? 
yes, I did something on Jamal Lascelles as an outside bet for England. I also wrote about Carlos Tevez's 40 million heist of Chinese football that, having gone up today, is now arguably a, a millisecond out of date because he has since admitted that he pretty much just went for the money in the second, second he stepped off the plane he knew he wanted to go home. Yeah, he brought quite the entourage with him as well, I've heard. I think uh, World Football Phone-In is quite insightful about uh, Carlos Tevez uh, and his exploits out in many different countries. Um, a very very interesting guy in the first place. Uh, Chris, thanks a lot for joining us tonight. It's been good to have you. Of course, speak to you online. And you are quite engaged on Twitter. Yeah, I don't, I'd love to, to hear what people have to say, even idiots. That's true. Uh, yeah, uh, Mark Goldbridge uh, was tweeting just the other night, uh, though through which account we don't know. Um, it's, it, I think it's a very niche reference, but if you're into football Twitter, then you're going to know what I mean. Um, and it made me laugh for quite a long time today. Um, have you ever tweeted yourself? Have I ever tweeted myself? Have you ever tweeted yourself from another account that you made yourself? Uh, no, because I didn't make my podcast account. Good point. Very good point. Uh, anyway, uh, I hope you guys enjoy this week. Go and look up exactly what we're talking about. Uh, if you want to find out more, you can tweet at us with the hashtag, what are you talking about? Uh, we will see you later in the week with a full complement of people. We hope that you enjoy the football between now and then. See you later. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big. 